Hey, everybody, and welcome to our podcast, Jesus Does My Taxes, from Edwards Ingram. Uh, I'm the host, Jeff Cheney. It's nice to be here. With me today, I have Al Sabarino, a partner in our firm, Edwards Ingram. Hey, everyone. How are you? And I also have Ryan Amarone, another partner in our uh, firm that's going to be with us today. Hey, everyone. How's it going? So what we wanted to do today was talk about foundations, first foundations in our lives, in our Christian lives, and then also in our business life. But it's important to know why we're doing what we're doing here today, right? So this podcast is created specifically to bring faith-based business owners, Christians, bring what the Bible has to say about running a business and money and finances, all of that into the fold so that we can actually be successful, create wealth, and really live in that abundant lifestyle that uh, you know God wants for us. We're not teaching a prosperity message, but we're, uh, we're going to use the principles that are in the Bible and kind of bring those forth. Sounds good to me. All right, great. I was looking at some Bible verses last night, and um, you know, this thought came to my mind. I came to Genesis uh, 2.9, right? And it says, and I'm reading from the NLT version, it says, The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And then in the middle of that garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So I think everybody by now is probably uh, remembers the story of Adam and Eve, right? So Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They get the little snake that comes by, you know, that we, we know does the devil. And he says, hey, why don't you eat from the tree of knowledge and good? Because you'll get to be like God. Uh, he tells you not to eat of that tree. And we want to, and, and, you know, you really should. And then we know Eve goes in and eats from the fruit. We, we, I think today we always say it's an apple, but who knows really what it was. And then, and then she tells Adam, oh yeah, eat this. And then, you know, that's where sin was introduced into the world. So I was, I was looking at that last night and I said, um, you know, I think there's a point of this that we often overlook. And I'm going to read that verse again and pay attention to the first part of it, where it says the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So in the middle was where that tree was, where the sin happened. But in order to get to that middle tree, they had to pass by all of the other trees that were beautiful, all of the other trees that produced delicious fruit. So they had to pass by the abundance of that God provided in order to get to that tree that created sin. Right? So I think that's often overlooked, that part of it. The reason I'm bringing that up is uh, what came to my mind is I know that in the business world, uh, we're always reading these self-development books. Al, I think you've, uh, you've read a number of them, right? Too many. Uh, what are a couple of the ones that are like really popular now? You have any, any that you could think of? There's one called uh, Atomic Habits. That's a big one. It's about making small changes that could have big results. That's a big one. The Secret. Oh, yeah, right. Close one. your eyes and hope, hope and pray that it's just going to appear in your life. Um, there's so many of them. Um, even from the business, sense, is there one like Profit Sense or things like that? That um, really or Profit First. Going? That's Profit a popular first, right? business book. There's a lot of them. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like everywhere I turn, I'm getting these books pushed down my throat. Like, if you want to be successful, read this. If you want to be successful, read that. You want to know how to work a room, read this one. You know, we're constantly getting all of these different business and, and finance books thrown at us left and right. At least I am. I mean, uh, I feel like every single person I talk to is, oh, here, here's, a, here's another book to read. 
Mm-hmm. And um, anytime I'm on Facebook, although I won't admit I'm on Facebook, um, it's uh, it's always getting highlighted with some new, uh, you know, some new books. But I feel like they're all the same. Uh, pretty much. But you know what? You know, I stopped. I really stopped. Uh, I mean, I did read a few and um, I started getting a little excited about some of them that I was reading. And then I, I kind of stopped because what did they tell you to do? They tell you how to build your kingdom, your destiny, your empire, your life, right? It's it's everything is about you building up you, 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 you. Isn't there a better book out there? Isn't there something that's um, proven that the principles in it work? The Bible? You think? <laughs> right? So here here we are, right? We've got the Bible. I think like, uh, what, it's the, it's the most published book in all of the world, like tenfold. I think in America, you can find it like, like everywhere, right? So, and most people I know have at least, I don't know, one to to twenty five of them in their home, mm. right? So here it is. You've got the book that's got all the principles we need to be successful, especially in business, mm-hmm. and we walk past it, right? So we're walking past the abundance that God has has provided for us, and going to which is those trees, right? Those, those beautiful trees and the trees that produced abundant fruit in the garden. We're walking past that abundance and we're going to that tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is basically that tree that says, uh, here, here's sin or, or, or the worldly view. And we're going to the worldly books and saying, yes, let's, let's get the world's opinion on how we should be successful and walk right past the Bible that tells us every single thing we need to know. We have to be careful because it's not it's not that these books are are bad, right? These self-help, self-development books. It's not that they're bad. But the principles eventually teach us that we could become our own gods. And that's what we have to be careful, right? So what is it telling us? It's telling us that, you know, we're in charge of our of our domain. We're in charge of our empire. We can build up our own kingdom. But when you're a Christian, see, when you're a follower of Christ, uh, a son or a daughter of the king, you're no longer building your kingdom anymore, are you? Like you've given up ownership to become a steward because where does that power come from? The power comes from yielding for, yielding to God, right? It's not us. Our power is in God. So the Bible gives us the wisdom and the, and the ability to transform and renew our minds and help us to do things and to learn and implement these principles that God's provided us to live that, we'll say, abundant life or that successful business or everything. But but it's not for us. We're stewards of what God gives us. That's what the Christian lifestyle is about, right? We're, we're, we're building, we're helping to build God's kingdom. Yeah. So, uh, I have to be constantly reminded in my life that this kingdom that I'm building is not mine. I'm simply just stewarding it for God. And the money in the world is not my money. It's not my client's money. It's God's money. So we have to use his money as it as he intends it and uh you know use his money to glorify him and i have to be reminded of that like daily i'm being well, reminded of it right now well we work in finance right so what are we surrounded by constantly money we are surrounded by money every single day it's almost uh i don't want to say it's all we talk about but most of our clients when they call us up what are they worried about right? We're, we're CPAs, we're accountants. So they want to talk about their finances. They want to talk about their taxes. It's money, 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 money. That's all. Uh, that's, that drives probably most of our conversations every day. And I think 
although it is a, a Bible verse, it's also a, a, we'll say almost cliche at this point, but um, you hear people say, you know, money is the root of all evil. It's not true. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil, right? So money is good. God created it. He created gold. He created silver. He created precious metals. Um, eventually it turned into, you know, the cash that we have today. So money is not bad. Money is actually good. And God wants us to have it. It's just, he doesn't want it to become the forefront in our life, right? He doesn't want us to have so much love for money that we push him out. And so I wanted to bring that up today because <clears throat> today we're talking about foundations, right? So if you don't have that first foundation to understand that, look, we're stewards. We're not owners. We're stewards. As a Christian, we've given up our ownership to be stewards. If you can get that in your mind and in your head, that is such an important concept to, to get that you will treat your whole business and personal life much differently. And as I was thinking about that last night, I was I was also kind of looking back and saying, well, you know what? There's there's when it comes to like personal development, there's there's three main areas that um, we have to look at. And I'm going to condense it down into like really, really small things. But because I was looking at the book of Genesis and it's kind of the book of firsts, I call it we have to we have to pay attention to what what we're told in the beginning so what's the first thing that that god said about us says that he created us in his image so if that's the case what's the first thing he said about him he said that he's a creator so if he created us in his image that means he created us to also be creators so that brought a question to my mind which i've been grappling with a little while is uh um, I keep hearing people say, well, this person's an entrepreneur and this person's not an entrepreneur. They're not capable. They are capable. They're not capable. And I thought that was interesting because I don't know if, if you had to like Ryan, if I had to ask you, like, how many people out there do you think are not that they're actually being entrepreneurs, but have the capability of being entrepreneurs? Um, well, I mean, what would you say to that? I would say really anyone has the potential to be an entrepreneur. Um, it's not an easy task to go about becoming an entrepreneur. It definitely takes dedication and drive. But again, the, the Bible provides all the tools to, to develop yourself and prove that you can be a successful entrepreneur in life. Yeah, you know what I thought was interesting is um, they actually have college courses on how to be an entrepreneur now, which I didn't even know that was possible. I thought you either are one or you're not. But, uh, but I guess you can go get a college degree spend, I don't know, $100,000 to have somebody hand you a piece of paper that tells you you're an entrepreneur. When really, what is an entrepreneur? It's someone who's running a business, right? Um, I can I can do that with $5 and start running a business and be considered an entrepreneur. But I have a lot of people that say, you know, this person's not capable. That person, you know, they're just an employee. They'll, they'll never be an entrepreneur because they can't, they don't think that way. And they don't process that way. And I think, well, if being an entrepreneur is about creating and we're all creators because God did it in his image, he created us in his image, then I think everybody has the ability. May not have the skills developed yet, but everybody has the ability. I think when the industrial age came came about, like, uh, I don't know, what was it, uh, a while back in uh, U.S. history, the industrial age came about. Uh, before then, I think it was well, most people had their own land. They they produced their own crops. They they kind of took care of their own trade. And everybody, I think, for the most part, most people were were really entrepreneurs. And then the industrial age comes on, and um, started creating uh, jobs for people and putting people into an employee position. 
right? So now everybody's just, uh, they become like little sheep, right? You know, they just walk in, they do their job, they go home. But I don't think that's the way we were necessarily designed. It's the way our country developed us into, but I don't think it's the way we we're designed. We're all designed to create. And I could say, at least for me and from mostly everybody I know, that if we're not creating something, we almost feel like we're unfulfilled or we lack purpose. Do you know anybody who feels that way? Is, it's, is there any reason why other than they're not really creating? They're not really doing something? I think I know why. Why is that? Today, people of all beliefs, all faiths, they're looking for security. They're looking for security. So they, they, a lot of people associate a job with security. You know, I know a lot of union workers, a, a steady government job is the best form of security in a lot of people's minds. That sounds true. It does sound true. For me, it sounds a little boring. Well, security is usually associated with boring. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, uh, how many people have you run into your life that have said, uh, you know, you, you're born, you work, and then you die. A lot. Yeah. I never wanted that for my life. Uh, I had a, a pastor at one, one point in time, he was preaching a message and he said, uh, he said, you know, at the end of your life, your earthly life, at the end of your earthly life, there's going to be a tombstone, hopefully a tombstone on your grave. And it's going to say a beginning date and an end date. And that little dash that's in between that little, like one inch dash. That's what your life is all about, that little dash. So do you want it to be exciting or do you want it not to be exciting? How do you want to live that little dash? Whenever I hear people say, you're born, you work, you die, I think, wow, that's going to be an amazing eulogy they're going to have one day uh, when somebody explains what the dash was in their life. I guess the most important thing that I did learn, though, from, from reading the Bible is that you can be a creator. You can, um, you know, God designed us to create things. And in order to feel fulfilled and, and feel like you have purpose, you're, you're involved in creating things with God. Um, but really the most important thing is connections, right? All of those have to have balance, but I, I feel like connections are the most important thing. And if we're not connecting with uh, people, uh, our friends, our spouses, especially God, if we're not having uh, fulfilling relationships, meaningful relationships, then every other area in our life will fall apart. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have a solid foundation and you're not balanced well, right? What happens? You fall flat on your face, mm -hmm. right? So yesterday I was at the gym working out and I didn't have good balance and I ate the mat. <laughs> <laughs> Fell right down flat on my face. Why couldn't and I be there to watch that? What's that? Why couldn't I be there to watch that? We might uh, have to get some <laughs> our hands on that security tape just to rewatch that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. Um, and have good balance. You know, we're we're CPAs, right? We're probably guilty more than any other uh us and lawyers probably. We are guilty of having zero balance. It shows in the profession. It shows, right? Uh, I know a lot of divorced CPAs. I know a lot of divorced lawyers. That's part of the reason why we're having this podcast here is to talk to other entrepreneurs that have similar demanding professions like CPAs and attorneys to introduce balance into life. And really, I think it's it's paramount to have strong purpose because otherwise you just run out of gas. I, I see lots of uh, profits with a purpose. You, you hear that a lot, a lot, right? With Fortune 500s and 
you know, other companies profits with a purpose. A Christian business needs to have profits with a purpose. Otherwise, you're just running the rat race like everybody else. Yeah, and that's you know that's part of what we're doing here today is we're we're drawing attention to that, trying to get uh, Christian business owners that don't fall in that trap. Number one, get out of the rat race so you're not, you know, living from uh, from hand to mouth. But then also understand you need balance in your life, and I'm guilty of it. Um, my wife reminds me all the time that, uh, hey, you know, you're reaching your 120th hour of work of this week. You know, you think you want to take a little bit of time off. And I don't know, you know, it's 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 a little bit more prevalent in in our field because it's service oriented. But I, I don't think there's an entrepreneur out there who who struggles with work life balance. Um, and what we want to teach everybody to do uh, through this podcast and through this series that we're developing is that we want to help you create. We want you to get that understanding, but then help you create your income and your wealth in a different way. You can still do what you do, but there's another way to do it. And if we apply the biblical principles, it'll actually uh, it'll actually work very well. Hey, Al, would you mind? Um, you had that Bible verse, uh, was it Matthew seven twenty four? Do you have that where you could read that? So everyone, then, who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Yeah. So you could apply that in uh, kind of any, any area of your life. You can, you know, replace the words house with like business and you know, if you don't build your business on the on the solid foundation on the rock, um, if you build it on the sand, then it's just going to wipe away. And that's true. And that's why we're here, right? We're here to point out that the Bible's principles will actually make your business successful. I have not found anyone who has applied the biblical principles to their business, to their life that has failed. Um, if you have, let me know, but I haven't. You know, we can build a strong foundation and the rest is up to God. So let's take that now, right? Let's start that foundational piece and talk about when we're building a business. We, we run into business owners every single day who call us up and they say, Jeff, Ryan, Al, we're stuck. We, um, we started a business and we're paying 50% tax almost, it feels like, and they probably are. And the first thing we always look at in this case, we don't, we don't even look at necessarily the numbers. We go right to the foundational part of their business, which is how they're set up and what kind of entity structuring that they do. It's the first piece we look at. And uh, that tells us right away what thoughts they had when they were putting together their business. There's some easy solutions. There's some hard solutions. There's some complex solutions. But at the end of the day, if you're not making sure your foundation is set up strong first, then you know, what you're doing is you're, you're taking that money that you could be using to, um, like we're supposed to be good stewards of the money. Right. But, uh, but we have to live our lives too, and we can enjoy ourselves. So that new car, that vacation, the, 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 the gifts for family members, the donating more money, whatever, you know, whatever you feel like led to do that becomes harder to do because if you've set yourself up incorrectly, what happens Al? I mean, what do you do if you set up the wrong time of kind of business? What do you think happens? 
a lot of things can go wrong. I think the first mistake that people make, especially if the business involves other people, is not having a strong operating agreement. It's a step that gets overlooked and that could lead to a host of problems. Everything from how to manage the profits of the business, the losses of the business, debt of the business. It could lead to issues when partners want to leave the business, um, when you want to sell the business. You know, uh, that's the first thing that pops into my head. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it costs like $1,000 to get an operating agreement. Yeah. Yeah, 1000 bucks. I look at the cost of not having an operating agreement. Yeah, that, yeah, but but, but I'm I'm operating with my uh my best friend. I mean, we've been together uh, forever. How many times have you heard that one? Oh man, you're just asking for uh you're asking for a, a worst enemy, not a best friend. If there's no operating agreement, and that operating agreement has to be agreed upon in good faith between two parties. And if it's not established at the inception of the business, it's not tattooed on the partner's hearts. It's it's just a document that sits there and you open it up and you go, oh, this is what it says? I didn't agree to that. Or you slipped that in there without me knowing. I just signed it, right? I've heard that a, a million times, right? I just signed it. I didn't know that was in there. So, so it, not only do you have to have one, it has to be talked about, agreed upon. It has to be uh, part of your DNA as a business. Yeah, very important. Very important. Um, I also I also hear this a lot. Well, when I started off in business, I wasn't making much money. And my response is, so when you started off in business, although you weren't making much money, were you anticipating to be poor? You were running a business to be poor? Nah, you were running a business and it takes time to develop. But that means you don't, you don't skip the important steps, right? I mean, those steps are there for a reason. Yes, they do cost money. There is a cost to starting up a business. And uh, I know, I know, we all want to try the, the 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 shortcuts, right? We want to go around and find the cheapest, easiest way to get into business and start making a profit. Totally get that, but then you have to pay the consequences for it, right? If you want a shortcut, you pay the consequences. Once that's done, right? Then it's the entity selection. Then it's uh, what type of business are we setting up? That one also gets overlooked, and that one has, I think, even more uh, more consequences sometimes than the operating agreement. At least initially, at least in the first few years, because uh, the wrong entity selection will have you paying most of your profits back to uh, back to the IRS. So, uh, Ryan, what's um, I guess if if somebody comes up to you, right, like you get a brand new business owner and they say, "Hey, I've got uh, I've got to figure out how to set up my business." Like, what are the what are the types of entities we have to really choose from nowadays? Well, there's so many different types of entities to really choose from. Whether you're going to be a sole proprietor, um, doing a limited liability company, treated as a disregarded entity. Or if you want to incorporate, elect corporate status as an 1120 or an S corporation. And really the whole point of these separate entities is determining your liability uh, perspective on top of how you're going to be drawing profits from the company. Um, and there are several different factors to be considering when you're going through your entity structure. So I find it to be very critical to not just have an idea for a business, but to have a plan for where you're going to be going with this business and how you want to take profits out of the business to avoid taxation. Actually, that's a, that's a good point that um, people forget is that when you start up a business, like the, one of the first things you want to do is figure out what you want to do with this business. What's the end game? 
Now, obviously things change throughout time. You might change your mind, but if you don't have an, an end game in mind, whether you want to build up a business and sell it off in 20 years or 10 years or build up a business and, you know, and, and pass it off onto your kids or just build up a business to have a job for a few years. I mean, you've, you've got to have an idea of what you want to do with it. And, um, that actually helps determine how to treat your business, how to set it up in the beginning. Exactly. Al, what do what people most, most of the time nowadays, like how are they usually setting up their businesses? I see a lot of single member LLCs, a lot those, of those. Those are, in my opinion, that's probably one of the worst ways to set up a business. There's so much exposure and liability with those. And uh, can you explain, you know, can you explain exactly what that is? Yeah. So that is what's called a disregarded entity. Okay. And the reason why it's disregarded is because it's a single member. And what eventually happens with a single, a single member LLC is it goes on your personal tax return. Okay. It goes on the, the schedule we call the schedule C and that's a big mistake because the schedule C is like a massive bullseye for the IRS. They are, you are basically screaming at the IRS audit me, audit me. And, um, which, which, which is another way of saying, please take my money. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's also most oftentimes it's probably the most expensive way tax wise. In addition to getting audited, you're going to be paying more taxes than other entity structures. Um, so number one, it's an audit target. Number two, it's probably the most expensive way to do business tax wise. And um, it's probably the most common I think it was what five, 10 years ago, these single member LLCs started getting really popular. Yes, because well, they're simple. And that's why that's why I think they're attractive. They're simple. Yep. Um, simple, but super expensive. And um, I would say on a daily basis, when we have, uh, at least for me, when I have a client, like a new client that calls me up and says, Hey, I, uh, can you take a look at my business? And I open it up and I see a Schedule C. I, I think I groan. I think, uh, cause yep. I just know from there, the conversation's never going to go well because I have to tell them you missed out on all these deductions. You paid the highest level of tax that you possibly could at your rate. And, uh, and they say, oh, well, my CPA said this was the way to do it. We didn't want to do another way because we didn't make enough profit. And I said, it has nothing to do with the amount of profit you have. It has to do with how much money you want to keep in your pocket. Right? So uh, I know like I, I do business. I have a couple of businesses, you know, why do I do these businesses? Well, I do it so that I can make money, have money for my family, have money to contribute. Uh, the last thing I want to do is, is hand it over to someone else and say, well, you know, I was just a little too lazy to, to do this. So I'm going to here, why don't you take 55% of what I made as profit? And why don't you just take it? You know what? It, it'll go to good use going to the government, right? Cause we, we all, we all feel that that's re really going to happen. And, uh, if you haven't sensed my sarcasm there, um, but that's that's essentially what you're telling people is you're saying, well, it was so easy. And CPAs that that use single member LLCs, these Schedule Cs, they really frustrate me because they're really hurting their clients. Again, not just because it's it's a huge target for the IRS to audit, which is extremely expensive to just defend. Even if, even if you had no changes to make, just to defend it is expensive. And here you are telling the IRS, "Hey, you know, why don't you why don't you audit me? As a matter of fact, why don't you audit me every other year?" Uh, that's what it can seem like at, at times. And how easy is it, Al, to do something different? That's really easy. You're one form away from changing the whole picture, or you're one member 
away from adding to your your situation, you know, making it a dual member LLC to making it a better situation. But really, you're one election away from changing the whole picture. One election? You mean like, um, you mean I just have to like fill out a quick piece of paper and send it in? Yeah. Yeah. The IRS has no issue at all with you electing a different tax status. There's your legal status and then there's your tax status, right? So an LLC is a legal entity. Okay. Your tax status is something different and that requires a little paperwork and a little planning, but just doing that will change your life. Now, how often, Ryan, how often would you say when like a, a new client comes in the door and they say to us, Hey, take a look at my books and, uh, and my tax return and tell us what you think. How many of those do you think we look at their entity structure and we actually change that structure? Oh, it's very common. I mean, uh, as you said, the single member LLC was very popular five to 10 years ago, and we're constantly seeing new clients come in with these old structures that essentially have been replaced with better, better tax entities. Um, so we're constantly looking for those situations. And anytime we come across those, we love to uh, recommend a new tax status for our clients to help really save them anywhere from 10 to 20% just based on their situation and taxes alone. I love this because uh, Al and I were talking the other day about some of this and um, I was telling him like a lot of the stuff that we do is very, very simple and it makes us look like geniuses. And it's like the bar is so low on how to actually fix people's, uh, you know, the, the structure of their business and how to almost immediately save them a ton of money in taxes. The bar is so low for us that um, at times, at times it feels almost a little sad when you say, yeah, it feels a little, uh, it's like a little disgusting at how easy it is sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like there's no competition and it's easy. You know, that's, that's actually a good point. What happened to, uh, cause I do get uh, a lot of, a lot of clients that say, well, why didn't my CPA tell me this? You know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and we have to answer like, we're, you know, we know the reason for it. I do know the reason for it. I hate saying it because, um, you know, your CPA is, Whenever you hire an accountant, I mean, that's you're, you're feeling like you could trust this person with everything financially. Anyways, everything financially and more times than not, you find out later on that uh, not that they weren't trustworthy, but they didn't really give the time needed into your situation, uh, into a client situation to really help them. And it's really not that much time. I mean, if you think about it, how much work do we really have to do to get people in the right position? going forward? Um, it's really not a lot. It's just a couple upfront conversations that, you know, put an emphasis on planning, not compliance. Well, that's, that's the other side of it too, is our industry CPAs are so stuck with compliance, you know, filling out tax returns that they're not able to spend a whole lot of time with their clients anymore. Forget spending time with them. Just even answering emails and phone calls takes them like three weeks. Uh, I think that was, what did we hear? The average, the average CPA's response rate was, was it two, a little over two weeks? To, um, it's something bad. Yeah, it was like a little over two weeks to actually good. answer emails and phone calls. It's not good. I said, "Wow, we look we look awesome if we answer like uh, we try to do what twenty four hours." I yeah. mean, it's not it's not always possible because sometimes it's just the the volume is crazy. But um, and it's funny because sometimes you get these comments like, "I can't believe you called me back so quickly," and we're here thinking, "Wow, it's twelve hours later for us." This is like, you know, we're almost embarrassed. And then we're finding out that uh, the average CPA, it's, it's a little over two weeks, two weeks to get back to somebody. It's kind of funny.
getting back to the whole entity structuring, there's a statistic out there that was released by the IRS that says, um, first of all, uh, most businesses out there, uh, it's, it's pretty close to 90% of all businesses are actually small businesses. So that means the small business owners make up the majority of businesses. Now, obviously, there's huge corporations, right? And it's not like you can really compare the two. But we're talking about the number of businesses, uh, not the not the volume of the businesses. But in the number of businesses, close to 90% are small uh, business owners. And when they look at that pool, the IRS said, based on what they see, and you'll like this one, 93%, it was like 93.4, but it was 93 point something percent. This was uh, in the AICPA, um, our governing body, said 93% of small business owners overpay their taxes in a tune of $4 billion per year. So if you figure out how many small businesses there are out there and you divide that into, um, you know, take, take 93% of it and then divide that into, you know, $4 billion. Um, I forget what the number is, but basically the average small business owner is overpaying. It was somewhere around $30,000, $30,000 in tax. And the leading cause, they're just not set up right. The, you know, they don't have the right foundation to begin their business. But $4 billion is going, of extra revenue is going to the IRS. I don't know about you, but I find that to be uh, a, little, a little concerning. That's a lot of scratch. Yeah, you think? And I know, I know small business owners are out there asking themselves, well, what do we do? We don't want to keep paying so many taxes. Where do we go? What do we do? Who do we ask? And I don't know. I don't feel there's a whole lot of help out there or good help, I should say. I'm, I'm even seeing um, one of the sharks, uh, Mr. Wonderful, I think his name is. Yep. He's got a tax, uh, he's got a tax arm now. Yeah. He's not even a tax guy. And he's, he's actually jumping into that because he realizes how, um, how little information is out there to help people that all he has to do is take one or two like little gimmicks, apply it and he'll help you out. And he's going to make some money off of it. It's smart, but it's sad that that's the place where you have to, where we can't even, we can't even rely on professionals. We have to rely on some other business guy to actually give us the information we need. And I think that's kind of why we're here, right? Yep. That's kind of why we're pushing out the information. We're going we're gonna to go through a series and really build on all the techniques, all the structures. We want you to keep money in your pocket. Stop paying Uncle Sam. We want you to um, be able to take that money and either live the way you want to or invest it in other, in other uh, investments or whatever you want to do with your money. I mean, to me, I think you should be in control of uh, your money and not the IRS. And uh, I don't know, that's, that's why we're here. You guys got anything to add to that? You need to find a firm that is going to spend time with you. Um, it's, it's easier than ever now. You don't have to go to the office, right? You can hop on Zoom. And if your CPA is not meeting with you regularly or, you know, at least um, for a couple hours up front when starting your business or reevaluating your current business, uh, it's time for you to start looking in another direction. It's time to start looking to see what's out there, you know, looking for a CPA firm that's, that's advisory based that wants to have a conversation with you and wants to, I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, my CPA said, there's nothing I can do. Uh, they, um, I'm, I'm maxed out on tax deductions and that's generally just false. If you're a business owner, um, if you're a real estate investor, uh, that's just not true. You, yeah, give me about five minutes and I'll probably show you 10 different things you can do differently. Exactly. And they, they're not big changes generally. Also, I think 
what people need to find is a good coach. And your CPA should be a good coach. They should be coaching you on how to build wealth, how to build um, tax-free wealth, right? It, it, it's it's uh, it'd be a shame to build all this wealth and then give it give half of it back to the IRS, right? It, I, I think us Christian business owners, I think we can do a better job with the money than the IRS and the Treasury. I think we can do a much, much, much better job uh, putting it uh, to... Um, you know, God's cause as opposed to whatever the treasury and whatever the, whatever Congress and the senators, you know, want to do. So, so really, I think you, you got to find a CPA that's going to coach you to changing your behaviors to one, build wealth and number two, changing your behaviors so that you're going to save on taxes at the same time. I mean, how great would that be if you could build wealth and cut your taxes down at the same time? That's like a a win-win. And I, I hear several times people say, well, I've, I've had my CPA for, you know, several years and they're a nice person and, um, and I can rely on them and we don't like change. And all I could say to that is, um, and, and we've heard this like all over the place, the definition of insanity is what doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. So sometimes you just might have to make a change. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Doesn't mean anybody's a bad person. It just means they're just it just means they're not necessarily giving you what you need. And you need a coach. You need a good foundation. You need someone who's going to help you. And uh, our firm, Edwards Ingram, that's what we're all about. We're we're more about coaching. We're more about creating uh, strategies, and we're than we are about filling out the uh, the tax returns. I mean, we do fill out the tax returns, but that's not that's not where we're concentrating our effort on, like all the other CPAs. So we're going to be putting out this series and I'm actually pretty excited about it because we're going to be diving into some huge tax saving uh, techniques as we go forward. And um, I mean, if anybody comes for along the ride, they're going to learn a ton and it's really going to help them in business. But not only that, we're going to be, you know, bringing those that scripture into play and how it actually makes sense with with what we're doing, because it's really easy to listen to what the world says on how to make wealth and then you're constantly poor but when you do what the bible says guess what it actually works and uh and we're gonna help if you come along with the journey i mean you're gonna you're gonna learn this and you're gonna see it so i'm i'm kind of excited about it so next time we're gonna talk about some more great stuff and uh if you're listening to this i would love it if you could you know subscribe to our podcast uh, don't be afraid to rate and review us we'd love to get your feedback and we look forward to next time. Take it easy. See you later. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And thanks for listening to Jesus Does My Taxes.